Good. Well, last week, we started looking at an event where Jesus had been invited to have dinner with some Pharisees and some lawyers, supposed experts in God's law, at one of the Pharisees' houses. And as we explored the passage, we focused on three main topics. For those who were here last week, what was the first topic we looked at? What did we title it? It's a trap. That's right. Is it? Uh, I'm trying a new clicker today. Is it? Is it not? It's not. It's not. It's not working. Try again. Oh, there we go. It's a trap. That's right. Who can remember the name of this character? Admiral Akbar, that's right, from Star Wars. I'm sure there's some Trekkies. Trekkies, sorry. There are some Star Wars fans in this church. If you remember, we read that the Pharisees had been watching Jesus, weren't they? They were quite possibly waiting to see if he was going to do something or say something that they could then arrest him for or charge him against. What was the second area that we looked at last week? Second area. Oh, it was only, it was only, it was only seven days ago. <laughs> Who remembers the signs? Jesus breaks the rules, didn't he? That's what we looked at. Jesus breaking the rules. And what miracle did Jesus perform? No. We did look at the man with the withered hand. But who said that? Rob. Well done, Rob. The man with dropsy. He healed the man at the dinner who was suffering with dropsy. Now the Pharisees believed that this miracle and other miracles that Jesus had performed on the Sabbath had broken the Jewish law that said that you couldn't work on the Sabbath. But Jesus knowing the law better than them and Jesus knowing God's, the Father's heart better than them knew that helping human being who was in need was not breaking God's law but actually incredibly important. The Sabbath was meant to be a day of liberation and freedom for God's people from the toils of the working week. A day set aside to worship and to serve God. It wasn't meant to be a day of repression or restriction, as is often the case or the sense that we get. But more than that, the Sabbath was also there to give a wonderful and beautiful picture to them and also to us today of the final and eternal day of rest for all God's people, when there'll be no toil but peace. Doesn't that sound amazing? As we worship and dwell with our Lord forever. But they didn't listen, did they? They weren't listening to what Jesus had to say because of the third point. What was the third point that we closed with? Stubbornness. They were stubborn. Who agrees with this? Never. I'm not stubborn, I'm just always right. I'm sure there are lots of people here who would agree with that. I'm not stubborn, I'm always right. You see, they believed that they were better than Jesus and they knew more than Jesus. 
and their stubbornness resulted in them missing who Jesus is and the wonderful opportunity that they had to change. They had hardened their hearts and were unwilling to look at themselves and realise that their thinking and actions were wrong and they were contrary to God's heart, a heart that placed incredible value on everyone from children all the way up. Amen to that. But ultimately their stubbornness was blinding them. So today, in today's passage, Jesus is still at the same dinner party and not long after healing the man with dropsy, he decides to tell them a parable, a story based on something else that he has seen, something he's witnessed and observed at the dinner. So if you do have your Bibles with you, it'll be on the screen as well, so don't panic. We're just going to look at the start of this passage today. So Luke 14, 7, verses 7 to 9. Luke 14, verses 7 to 9. Which says this. When Jesus... No, and, and sorry, let me pause there. I am reading today from the NLT version, okay? So I've broken away from the ESV. Ooh, controversial. I'm reading from the NLT. When Jesus noticed that all who had come to the dinner were trying to sit in the seats of honour near the head of the table, he gave them this advice. When you are invited to a wedding feast... Don't sit in the seat of honour. What if someone who is more distinguished than you has been invited? The host will come and say, give this person your seat. Then you will be embarrassed and you will have to take whatever seat is left at the foot of the cross. So, what, sorry, foot of the uh, table, not cross. I'm getting a bit ahead of myself there, aren't I? Foot of the table. So what does that mean? Now I was hoping I'll have to pinch my chair. So what does that mean? Okay, here we go. This is either going to go... Thank you, dear. This is either... Oh, sorry. This is either going to go very well or very bad, but we'll see, okay? Be kind to me. Now you have to imagine, okay, that you're not sitting on one of these right now. So this is the seat of honour. Ooh... This amazing purple chair is that, well, it is a royal colour, is it not? This is the seat of honour. And thank you, Kate. This is the lowest place. Oh. This is the lowest place, okay? Seat of honour, lowest place. Okay, now, we're having a wedding feast. I'm sure you get more excited about wedding feasts than that. Now, has anyone been invited to this feast? Has anyone got an invitation? I've got one. We have an invitation. So Jonathan, Jonathan, come out, come come over here. Jonathan, as you can see, he always looks rather dapper, Jonathan, doesn't he? But he's dressed up for this, uh, for this feast, okay? But Jonathan here, he thinks very highly of himself. 
okay? What I'm about to say is the total opposite of Jonathan, okay? But just work with me here. Jonathan thinks very, very highly of himself. He's very smug, thinks he's better than everyone else. Okay, he thinks he knows more than everyone else. And his main goal in life is to make sure that everyone in society knows how important he is. Okay? <laughs> All right? So Jonathan has been invited to the wedding feast. So Jonathan walks in. He's that important, or he thinks he's that important, that he doesn't even look at the seating menu. Okay? Because he just knows he will be up there with the bride and the groom. Okay? So Jonathan... What chair are you going to choose? I'm going to go take my allotted spot. Good answer. We didn't rehearse this. Good answer, Jonathan. Thanks. Well done. Ah. Well done. So there he is, Jonathan. He's better than everybody else. Yep. But here's the problem. Now, I need another helper, maybe about so high. Any volunteers? <laughs> Now, you are, such, you are such a distinguished guest to this wedding, okay, that I have come out personally to give you your invitation. There's his invitation, everybody, okay? So you just hold that. You just stand there for a moment, okay? All right? And because you are such an important guest, you even get your own crown that says important person. All right? Ooh, yeah. Okay, let's make sure it fits. Yes, perfect. So, would you like to come with me? Because you're so important and we're so honoured that you are at our, our wedding, okay? And we'd love for you to come up and be, be on our table at the top. So if you'd like to come up there. But there's a problem. He's sitting in your seat, isn't he? There's a problem. So what are we going to what are we gonna have to do, do you think? We're going to have to ask him to get off your seat, aren't we? So let's go up there and, and we'll say, Jonathan, sorry, we know you think, you think you're important, but you're really not that important, and we have someone here that really is important. Okay? So I'm sorry but in front of all of these people who are now watching, you're going to be embarrassed. So you're going to have to stand just to the side of the chair for me, and the really, really important person can come and have a seat on the real prestigious purple chair. Mmm, well done, awesome. So, but here's the problem. Jonathan, because you thought really highly of yourself, you're now gonna have to do the walk of shame. You're gonna have to have to hold that over your head, okay? And you need to walk around to the lowest seat, okay? Off you go then. You're gonna have to walk around whichever way you want. Oh, the crown fall off. Crown's falling off. Sorry. Oh, the shame. Ooh, the shame. There we go. That's it. Come and have a seat right down in the darkest depths, in the shadows. There we go. Give them a round of applause, everybody. Well done. Well done. Let me have those back. Let me have those Thank you, sir. Thank you. Good, good. Yeah, Jonathan, I'll have those back. Thank you. Well, that went better than I thought. <laughs> what well on, team? Good stuff. You see, the culture in which Jesus lived during that time on earth, or during his time on earth, was 
One that was very much made up of honour and shame. Honour and shame. Dinner parties were places in which people could and would reveal to all present their social status, their influence and their importance or believed importance to everybody else who was present. And if the host didn't uh, grant the most distinguished uh, person coming to that wedding the highest seat at the top of the table, then they could easily, easily be dishonoured. And they don't want that. I don't think any of us would want that either. But it's obvious by our passage that at this dinner party where Jesus was present, there were people who did think highly of themselves as they were trying to sit in the most important seats. This attitude is one that we still see today and it's one that we can all fulfil to if we're not careful. What Jesus was observing was this um, attitude that we call arrogance. Arrogance. Yes, it worked. Arrogance. Some of the traits of arrogancy are thinking more highly of yourself than you should be. No one here does that, I know. Thinking you're more important than anyone else around you. Looking down on people, looking down on people you work with or looking down upon people in school and thinking that you know more than anyone else. I'm sure you know people who might fall into this category. Now we know that the Pharisees and lawyers knew God's word. We know they knew God's word. But it seems they failed to apply Proverbs 25, 6-7 into their life, which says, don't demand an audience with the king or push for a place amongst the great. It's better to wait for an invitation to the head table than to be sent away in public disgrace. Arrogancy is not healthy. It's not healthy particularly for those who follow Jesus, is it? And it's a trait that the scriptures speak about time and time again. So so if the scriptures talk about it time and time again, then we need to pay attention. Do we not? Absolutely. On one such occasion, Jesus shares a similar story about arrogance and shares a similar warning about the consequences of being arrogant, as he does in this passage today. What's this by... Now, adults... Kids, and I'll include the uh, obviously our, our, our you know our older youth as well in this, and our young adults. What's this story? What's this Bible story? Anyone got any ideas? No. Okay, we'll open it up then. What's this uh, gospel story? In essence, yes. This is the Pharisee and the tax collector. The Pharisee and the tax collector. 
If you remember, Jesus tells this story that they both went to the temple to pray one day and we're told in Luke 18 that the Pharisee started praying by saying these words. I thank you, God, that I am not like all the other cheaters, all the other sinners, all the other adulterers. I'm certainly not like that tax collector over there. Arrogance. I fast twice a week and I give you a tenth of my income. But the tax collector stood at a distance. There he is standing at a distance in the shadows. He stood at a distance and dared not even lift his eyes to heaven as he prayed. Instead, he beat his chest in sorrow, saying, Oh God, be merciful to me, for I am a sinner. And what did Jesus say? I tell you, this sinner, not the Pharisee, returned home justified before God. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. What about you? Are you arrogant? Would you even admit it if you knew that you had arrogant traits about you? Have you even stopped to consider if there are times in your lives where you can be arrogant? How it affects those around you, but also how it might affect you. You see, being arrogant does affect us. And Jesus warns us that there are consequences to living an arrogant life. Now, I'm going to try. Who doesn't like balloons here? Okay, I'm going to try not to pop this. I didn't tell my wife this because... uh, it's easier for, to ask for forgiveness than... It's uh, <laughs> so, right, I'm going to try not to pop it, okay? But I have got asthma, so if you see me panting... <laughs> okay, got some CPR people in the room? Good, fine. Now, you can use this balloon as an example, okay? I'm better than everybody else in my class at school. Who says that? Who said, have any of you said that before? Who wants to admit it? <laughs> What's happened? If you, if you say that in school, what happens? Oh, you get puffed up, don't you? I know more than everybody else. Mum, Dad, I know more than you. Who's heard that one before? <laughs> no, I didn't do it right, did I? It's more like that. Mum, Dad, I know more than you. What happens? It's all right, I'm good, I'm all right. Don't you know who I am? How many of you have heard that one in the past? Don't you know who I am? I'm the, uh, I'm the president of the Christian Quiche Society. <laughs> I'm very important. Well, what about some of these? Someone sitting in my seat at church someone sitting in my seat. I could preach better than that Craig. <laughs> right, we got, we, we got room, we got room, it's alright. Why have we allowed 
that drunk or that drug addict into this very respectable church? Well, I'll think of it at the end. It's all right. The end of me, not the balloon. I'm out of puff. You see, we live our lives with this attitude. If we do, not only will it affect us, but it will affect the people around us. And one day we will all stand before God and he will want to know why we lived our lives like this. This life that he's blessed us with, with this living with this arrogant and selfish attitude and why we went against his word that told us not to live that way. In that moment, God will humble us. God will deflate us, will he not? That arrogance will be stripped away in not a very nice way. We will be humbled and there will be consequences. But, don't we love the buts? Oh, we did so well on that before the summer. There is good news. Let's get a hooray, kids. Hooray! <laughs> there is good news. God has blessed us all with a choice to be different. We don't have to be arrogant. We don't have to be arrogant. He has blessed us all with the ability to choose, to choose to live a life that is opposite to arrogance, that is at the opposite end of arrogance, a life Jesus modelled, a life founded upon humility. So we've looked at arrogance, particularly of those who placed themselves in the important seats in Jesus' story. And we've seen how they were shamed because of it. We looked at how being arrogant ourselves isn't a healthy attitude for a Christian and how one day we will have to give Jesus a reason as to why we chose to live a life that way, which is not going to go well, is it? particularly if we live all our lives with that sort of attitude, particularly after God warns us throughout his word not to live with that sort of attitude. Now we look at the next part of this parable where Jesus talks about, uh, or sorry, talks to the Pharisees and the lawyers about how they should act, what attitude they should have, and this is a lesson that also applies to us today, this attitude of humility. So if you have your Bibles with you again, opened at the page, we're just going to look at verse 11. No, we're going to look at verse 10, forgive me. Verse 10, which says, Instead, instead of trying to push yourself up to the highest place, where you're going to be dishonoured and embarrassed. Instead, take the lowest place at the foot of the table. Then when your host sees you, he will come and say, Friend, we have a better place for you. Then you will be honoured in front of all the other guests. So what does this look like? Now, who's going to be brave out of our youth? Who's going to be brave? And come and act this one out for me. 
<laughs> Come on, youth. Come on, one of you, so I'm just going to have to pick on Sky. <laughs> Who's going to be brave? Yes. Come on. High fives. Ah. Oh, shame. We've already done the shame. <laughs> so, see, look. See, this shows how humble Ella is, doesn't it? She's gone straight to the humble seat here. The lowest seat. Amazing. <laughs> it's the closest one. But doesn't that just prove the sort of heart we should have? She could have gone straight to the seat of honour. But she didn't. She went to the lowest seat. Now, I'm the host. And I walk in from using the loo or something like that. And I, I see her sitting there and I think, oh my gosh, that's not where you should be. You are important. You should be higher up. So before I do that, I put this, hide this so you can't see this other crown at all. And I say, please, come. Come and sit on this lovely purple chair. Mmm, there we go. And then I put this on her head. Perfect fit, look at that. Okay. She chose to come here. She chose not to say, look at me, I'm important. I should be there because I'm important. My self-worth. Okay, she chose to sit here. But then when the host came in, when I walked in, no, that wasn't good enough. She's humble. I knew she would sit here. But that's not where I want her to be. I want her to be in a place of honour because of her humility. And this clue on the crown here gives us a clue as to what will happen at the end of our passage today. Thank you very much. Thank you. See, that one, that one was a bit quicker. Now, youth, example there. Be brave. We've got great youth, by the way. They are good. Uh, we've got a great bunch. Arrogance, not humility. See, humility is a wonderful and a powerful attitude for us to have. Humility is a decision that we make. It's an action we choose to take, to take whereby we do not put ourselves or we do not put emphasis on ourselves in an arrogant way. We do not promote ourselves in an arrogant way or allow our ego to rule our attitudes. Being humble means we are not prideful. We are not boastful in what we have, in what we own or the achievements that we may have gained. At the heart of humility is our placing the needs of others before our own, elevating others before ourselves and being willing to admit our mistakes and take responsibility when we are wrong. That's a tough one, isn't it? That, if anything, is one of the areas that a lot of us would probably struggle with. Now, being arrogant is something we can all struggle with. We all can. And if you pay attention over this coming week to what you say and how you act, 
You may find yourself being arrogant in a moment because it's very easy to slip into. But it is possible to change. It is possible to do it differently. God gave us the wonderful gift of the Holy Spirit to help and guide us to be more like Jesus. Through his help and our being willing and aware of what we are doing and what we are saying, we can change our attitude. We can change our attitude and we can be more like Jesus. Kids, you watching? You're not on phones over in the back there, are you? Ah, I didn't think so. I think that's called uh, collared. Well, it was when I was growing up anyway. We can avoid bragging if we trust in the Holy Spirit to guide us in what we do and what we say. We can avoid bragging in everything we have if we trust the guidance and allow ourselves to trust the guidance of the Holy Spirit. We can avoid allowing success to get to our heads. We can allow our success to be used in the right way. There's nothing wrong with success. Remember, there's nothing wrong with it. There's nothing wrong with having lots of money. It's how we use it. Do we use it for God's glory? Do we use it to look after our family and to look after others? we trust the Holy Spirit's guidance, we will be more than willing to go above and beyond to thank everybody who is doing amazing things, people who help us in our lives. The postman, or I'm not quite sure who that's supposed to represent. Love the tash, though. Um, it could be the, you know, the milkman, the postman, going out in all weathers. When was the last time someone said thank you to the postman? Postperson, sorry. You know, they're out in all weathers. For hours upon end on their feet, just to see and pull, do you know what, I thank you. It doesn't hurt. We'd be more willing, if we're guided by the Holy Spirit, to admit our mistakes. Admit when we've done wrong and just say sorry. That, that is a very hard thing for people to do. When they know they've done wrong, to stand there and say, I'm sorry, is very difficult. Because pride gets in the way. No laughing, please. I said no laughing, dear. <laughs> Talk less, listen more. I once heard someone say, there's a reason God blessed us with one mouth and two ears. Okay? One mouth, two ears. Listen more. Talk less. That's where I am. Where am I? As always, Jesus is our example of humility. What's happening in this next picture? Come on, kids, you can get this one. Oh, no, where's it gone? Kids, what's happening in this one? What's Jesus doing? 10 out of 10, washing his disciples' feet. Many of us know this story. Jesus, who is God in human form, the king, the author and sustainer of the universe in which we live and the very person who created us, tied a towel 
around his waist, he knelt down before his disciples and he washed their feet. A job in those days which was one of the lowest jobs you could do. If Jesus can do that, then we can choose to live and act humbly. Can we not? Can we not? Let us not for one minute think that we are better than Jesus, because we are not. And if he can humble himself down to wash people's feet, then we can jolly well every day wake up and say, Lord, today help me to be aware of my arrogance. Help me to be more humble. I know I'm going to get it wrong. I know I'm going to mess up. But when I do, reveal it to me and help me to not do that again. That is how we should be acting every day. And that goes for you kids as well as it does for everyone else. But this isn't Jesus' humblest act on earth, was it? Jesus, who was God in human form, the king, the author and sustainer of the universe in which we live, the very person who created you and I humbled himself and allowed himself to be beaten and tortured and then hung on a tree to die. And he did that for every single one of you and he did that for me. I do not get tired of saying that. This beautiful picture and our challenge to be humble is summarised in Paul's letter to the Philippians. He writes this in Philippians 2, probably one of... heavens and on the earth and under the earth and every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father hallelujah never has the world seen such a powerful 
amazing and incomprehensible act of humility than when Jesus took man, mankind's place on the cross and ransomed himself against the debt that was owed to God the Father and paid the price for all the bad things that you and I have done. Jesus' death on the cross and his resurrection to new life secured the way for those who would but turn from their earthly, selfish, arrogant, stubborn ways and surrender themselves to Jesus through faith in him. And in doing so, would open the door into relationship with God personally now and also for eternity after we die in this life. Isn't that wonderful? It's a gift that we can all receive. If you're here today and you haven't, why not? Why haven't you? There is no greater gift you would ever receive. You don't get anything for free in this world, but this you do. Because you didn't have to do anything for it, Jesus did. If you want to know more about this life, a life with Jesus, come and speak to us after the service. Come to the prayer area. Don't walk out those doors without finding out more. Can I invite the band up, please? When we think about this parable, it could be easy to fall into the trap of cunningly thinking that if I pretend to humble myself in a subtle way, then maybe I would be advanced by my peers. You could easily read this passage in that way. I want to be in the seat of honour. So if I sit in the lowest seat, then maybe, just maybe, people will see my humility and they will raise me up. Friends, that's false humility. False humility is cunning and it's deceptive and ultimately it's not humility at all. The truth is, the true Christian humility does not seek praise and honour in this life. It doesn't seek praise and honour in a selfish way in this life. Those who truly love Jesus and want to live their lives for him should aim to actively turn away from any desire to promote themselves in this life. I'm not talking about going for a job promotion. This is arrogant promotion. Look at me, I'm more important than anyone else. We should actively turn away from those things because our hope our security, our value, our worth are not truly found in this life. It comes from a trust in the Lord, a trust which will free us from trying to elevate ourselves. Friends, for those who love the Lord, who fear God, our reward will be at the end of days when God will elevate us up. When God will exalt us up and honour us for our faithfulness toward him in this life and grant us our ultimate reward, eternity with him. 
eternity with him. And what is at the heart behind the point Jesus was making in verse 11, which says, for those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Exactly that. Let us strive to allow God to exalt us, not ourselves. Those who choose the lowest seat, who elevate others before themselves, who don't just think about themselves, but also others, those who strive to serve rather than to be served. Those people, Jesus' people, will be exalted and honoured and lifted high at the end of our days. Amen.